There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. That's not just a song. It is a confession of faith. I want to be close to your side so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to be near to your heart, loving the world, hating the dark. That's what Daniel did with his life. This young man was taken into captivity as a very young boy, made a eunuch, a eunuch eunuch. He wouldn't eat the king's food. He said, I will not defile myself with this stuff. I am going to remain true to my God. His friends would not bow down before the statue. And God blessed them. And they were able to speak God's truth to the rulers of a pagan nation. And we've seen throughout this study of the book of Daniel what God can do when people stand firm in their faith. Today we're hearing a story about how Daniel would not not pray. When commanded to not pray, he said, I must How would he respond? Would he respond in fear or in faith? And I want to ask us the question today, are we going to live in fear about what's going on in our world today? What are we going to do? Or are we going to live by faith? So let's hear the words from Daniel 6. Actually, we're going to start at the end where we left off last week. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So then we go on. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. They had different places where they were in charge. And he put three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. We talked about it last week. Belshazzar, he didn't know who Daniel was. He hadn't read the history books. He hadn't talked to the queen mom about who Daniel was. And so he didn't have him in a place of of power. But Darius was different. Either he talked to the queen mom or he read the books and he said, I want to have this Daniel guy in charge. I've read about him and there's something about him. And it says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was going to give him a promotion. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a candidate like that? They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed, that was a lie, that the king should issue an edict because Daniel didn't agree and enforce that decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put this decree in writing. He gave in 
to his arrogance and his desire to have people say, you're the king. We bow down before you. And so he said, we'll do that. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. It was Daniel's custom every day, morning, noon, and night, to get on his knees and say, God, I need your help. I need you in my life. I need you to share with me wisdom to do the things I need to do. He just did what he'd always done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. Actually, they, they, they followed him and, and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, yes, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the degree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He, determined to, he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group again to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Rescue you. I think this is, this is the first glimpse that King Darius is starting to understand. He's seen something in Daniel, and he says, I'm going to pray that your king, that your God rescues you. And so he did. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried I find that interesting. He got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And we all know the answer. Daniel answered. That was the miracle right there. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now cover your kids' ears at this point. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. I don't, Nate said this this morning. I don't remember that part in the Sunday school story. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. Again, that's, there's that echo back to Babel again. He wrote to all the peoples of every nation and every language. May you prosper greatly. 
I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That's the word of God. It's a story that mo most of us are familiar with, but I think we need to dig into it a little bit more this morning. Daniel distinguished himself, it said. How did Daniel distinguish himself? The NIV says he had exceptional qualities. Well, we've witnessed throughout all of the first six chapters, Daniel's humility, his servanthood, his love for even the king, his respect, his honesty, his integrity. He distinguished himself with his qualities. I remember my brother Greg told a story. He was in college, and he came home from college, and he worked at a place in Hastings where we lived called Proline. They make bows, fiberglass bows. And my brother Greg got a job there, and he, he got pretty good at it. And he told the story that, you know, they gave him, uh, like, the number they were supposed to shoot for for that day to how many bows they could make. And he found that it was very easy to hit that number, so he just kept working. And he made like twice as many as they said he was supposed to. He distinguished himself, and his boss really liked that. But the other people who worked there, they didn't care for that very much. He was a youngster. They called him aside, young man, slow down. I remember him saying, I'm just going to keep working the way I can. They put so much pressure. He, the Henry family, we don't like pressure and stuff like that. So he, he left that job right away. But he distinguished himself with his exceptional qualities, and people despised him. How did Daniel ex distinguish himself? As I studied that word more in the Hebrew, actually my, my, my tools studied it because I don't remember the Hebrew very much anymore. But when I read through, it said he had an exceptional spirit. Not distinguishing abilities, or qualities, he had an exceptional spirit. And that word for spirit is ruach, which is the word for the spirit of God. I think the NIV does a disservice to Daniel here. He was full of the spirit of God. That was what distinguished Daniel from all the other people. He was full of the spirit. Do you distinguish yourself in the world today? I hope so. I hope that people can see the Spirit of God at work in you. When that happens, people get jealous. The men that Daniel served with, they wanted him to be less trustworthy, to have less integrity. Maybe they wanted to get a little something for themselves off the top. They didn't enjoy serving with someone as upstanding as Daniel. Our world wants us to not distinguish ourselves as well. They want us to say, you know what, anything goes, whatever you want. Our world would like Christians just to say, hey, you do what you do and we do what we do. I studied in college, I think I've told you this before, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. What people would like in our world, a lot of people anyway, and some of them who are in churches, is a God, they say, a God exists who created and ordered the world. We'll agree that that there probably was a creator. And he watches over human life on earth from afar. 
and that this God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible in, in many world religions. And the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. There's that therapeutic part. And they say God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except maybe when he's needed to resolve a problem. And then good people go to heaven when they die. That's not what we believe. That's not what the God of the universe says to us. As Christians, we're not popular because we say that God has something to say about human sexuality. We say that the God of the universe has something to say about the sanctity of human life. We say that the God of the universe says, those who die apart from me will spend eternity separated from me. As Christians, we serve a God who says there is only one way to salvation. Are those the things that you say as a follower of Christ? We pray to a God who is above us, and we say there is no other God, and that's offensive to the people in our world, and so they're going to despise us if we stand firm. So if no one is despising you, you have to ask yourself, why not? I have a few people in, in my life who, who don't like what I have to say when I tell them, you're not living the way God wants you to live. I refuse to not tell the truth. And I'm okay with that. Trent referred a few weeks back at the end of a message just that there was a subtle culture change that was going on here at Community. And really, it's a culture change from the things that have gone on in the world. At Community, we're going to start saying to people, you can't live that way and say you're a believer. We're going to confront when people act in a manner that's outside of the gospel. We're going to do it with love, and we've been doing that. And it's surprising. We're finding people who go, you're right. I don't want to live that way anymore. Not everybody, but a lot of people want to know that they're not living the way they're supposed to. They actually know they're not living the way they're supposed to. We're going to tell people you're not permitted to call on the name of Christ and act in that manner. If we agree just to let everyone decide for themselves what is right, they'll leave us alone. But because we say God decides what is right, Christians are a threat. And a threat has to be destroyed. That's why Daniel was a threat. He stood up for something different. He just did what he'd always done. He worshiped the one true God. He prayed to the one true God. And that's how he got filled with the Spirit. That was his regular habit. What's your regular habit? In these dark days, are you on your knees three times a day in prayer? I'm making a... I'm making a pact with myself. I want to three times a day get on my knees and ask God to help me. I want to, I want to do what Daniel did. Because Daniel did that, the, the king was trapped. And he had to put Daniel in the lion's den. It's interesting, I find, that a law that was set up to make the king the ultimate authority actually traps the king. It makes him realize... I can't do anything to change this, and I want to. Making yourself the God of your own life will actually imprison you. It will trap you. When you think that you know what's best for yourself, you'll find out that that leads to a path of destruction. And so he had to put Daniel in the lion's den. 
And when he put him there, I think he really started to ask Daniel, is your God really God? I've read about you. I read about your friends. I've seen what you've done. But I want to know, can your God save you? I think that's what our world wonders. Is our God really God? What does your God do for you? Darius says, may your God who you continually serve rescue you. What does your God do for you? Our God saves us. He delivers us. He redeems us from the pit. God saves. Darius got up early in the morning and he hurried to the tomb. Why would he hurry? I would not want to go and see a man mauled by lions. I think Darius started to believe that the God of Daniel would save him. And so he calls out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, a pagan king who just made a law that everybody should bow down to him, now says, Daniel, servant of the living God. He recognizes, you know what? I'm not God. I can't even make a rule that works out for me. Something about Daniel is different. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answers, yes. And he didn't just save him so that he could go to heaven when he died. If Daniel wanted to go to heaven when he died, he could have just gotten eaten by the lions. It would have been quicker, right? God saved him to be a light and salt on the earth. God saved him not just for heaven, but for here. God wants things for our good. When we don't do the things that God calls us to do, we start to see. I've seen the effects of divorce, of alcohol, of anger, of selfishness, of making ourselves God. We see it all the time, and people are, they're making their life destroyed. There are consequences to those actions. But I've also seen the effects of faith, of life. Ron, who made profession of faith in the first service, he was in jail. He was running away from God as fast as he could. And now when you meet Ron, there is a light in his eyes and an excitement. He's on fire. There were a bunch of folks here this morning who'd never heard the gospel before. And Pastor Nate brought them the gospel. They heard the gospel. Daniel knew who he was. He was a child of God loved by Jesus. Later, we're going to sing during communion. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. Jesus loves you. He is for you. Listen to the words as we sing. How could Daniel have faith in the midst of this difficulty? Because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. He looked up. He saw what God was doing. He leaned in to what God had for him and then he lived it out wherever he went. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Carol was baptized today. She was buried and raised with Christ and cleansed and made new. 
It's not just water. It's a sign and seal of what God wants to do in our lives. John and Tim and Tyler and Ron and Kara, they said, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to serve the living God. I want that. Do you want that? I want to serve a God who when a person goes into a tomb, they put a stone in front of it and they seal it. We have a God who can roll that stone away and bring someone out alive. Does that sound like a story you've heard before? We serve a God who brought Jesus back from the dead, and he wants to do the same for us. We can take communion later. It's not just bread and a cup. It's communion with the one true God. It's inviting the Spirit of God to be in our lives. These things are means of grace through prayer, through the word of God, through the sacraments, God gives grace to us. God forgives us. He offers life. He gives salvation and the ability and power to live the Christian life. Three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and said, God, I need you. And because of that, he had the spirit of God alive in him. And because of that, Listen to this declaration. This is what a pagan king says about the one true God. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And he can save you. He can deliver you. He can give you life. That is the God we serve. We're no longer slaves. We're children of God. Let's pray together. Living God. We thank you that you are the living God and you want to be alive in us. You have broken our chains. You are the great I am. God, we, we want to come before you and we want to commune with you. We want to take you into our lives and have you transform us by your spirit. We want to take bread and remember your sacrifice. We want to take the cup and remember the blood you shed so we could have our sins forgiven. And we want to remember that you rose again and you reign on high and you send your spirit to give us the power to be your children. So Lord, I pray that today this would not just be a story that we've heard, but that it would remind us of our need for you and of your ability to save. Lord, bless us by your presence. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, for God's glory. Amen.